I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Stocks for beginners. Phil Muscatello and FinPods are authorized reps of Money Sherpa. The information in this podcast is general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal situation. But the other one would be investing in something that you know. The first best step is probably to have a look at their annual reports. It sounds really boring, but some of those reports make for a really good read. So if you pick an industry you know, the company you work at even, or a company you have worked at or in an adjacent you know kind of field, that report should make a lot of sense to you because they have to disclose their financials. There's a lot of boring you know accounting speak in there and there's you know, obviously there's the revenue numbers, the cash flow numbers, the balance sheet, but they're also marketing documents. And the CEO or the chairman or whomever will write a whole bunch of stuff about the company and what they're up to. And the best companies tend to be very transparent in terms of what they're doing. And they tell really good stories. And you can learn a heck of a lot from reading the annual reports of listed companies to help, you know, uh, inform your investment decision. And it will make more sense to you if you know what you're kind of reading, basically. Hi, and welcome back to Stocks for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. How can tracking your portfolio make you a better investor? What is benchmarking? And how does it help you keep score? Although it's not a game, is it, Doug? No, no, certainly not. (laughs) I'm joined today by Doug Morris, CEO of ShareSite Portfolio Tracking Tool. Hi, Doug. Hi, Phil. Thanks for having me. So how is ShareSite travelling? But I just realised when I wrote this question... We should get a little bit of a history of ShareSite as well. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we've been around, we're, I, I still consider us a startup, but we're an old startup. We've been around for about 10 years. We were originally founded by a father and son over in New Zealand, of all places. Mm. So mm. we came from a very small place to a somewhat larger place uh, in Australia, and now we're kind of available to the world. But essentially, the, the, the origin story is that the father worked in financial services, was an active share market investor himself, and the son had a software background. And so the father was struggling to track his portfolio. It, it sounds like such an obvious thing, but there really is a lack of solutions out there to do proper portfolio tracking for the self-directed investor. And the dad was you know, doing all this stuff in a spreadsheet. He had all these plugins for share prices and, and currency movements and things like that. And, and the son... Uh, said, look, I think I can build you something. And I think we can do this in the browser, i.e. in the cloud, which at the time was actually pretty rare given the kind of gruntiness behind some of the calculations. When when was this? This was way back in 2008 when they started the business. So then we kind of grew organically from there and and eventually came over to Australia. And that's kind of when we really ramped up our growth and our team size and things like that. Yeah. And ShareSite now, what's it looking like? How does it um, look now as compared to that, um, you know, I guess bodged up spreadsheet (laughs) converted to the cloud? It's come a long way. So the first version of ShareSite, we often share that internally. You know, we go in the the Wayback Machine on archive.org and we have a look at the old website and things like that and have a good laugh. But fundamentally, we do a very similar thing today that we did back then, which was sort of proper accounting-based performance tracking and reporting for, for portfolios. But we're a lot bigger now. I think the product looks a lot better and we operate 
you know, virtually in, in almost every country in the world in terms of where our customers are. We've got a team size now of about 50 people as well. So it's a long way from the from the kitchen table where it was first uh, conceived. So ShareSite obviously has a lot of user data about what they're buying, what they're selling, what's on everyone's watch list at the moment. So I've just got here the top 20 US trades that you've just released very recently. Yeah, Tesla's the top of the <laughs> charts there. I know, it's sort of... Uh, back to the future in terms of what we're seeing in in, in the uh, the most popular buys and sells. I mean, all of a sudden, it's sort of looking like um, kind of the height of the pandemic in terms of what people are buying with the tech companies really leading the way. So yeah, Tesla's at the top. It's always been a popular stock. Often, I think experienced investors like to look at these these figures that we put out and think like, oh, that's kind of how, you know how smart is that money and whatnot. But I think I think they're playing a part in this as well, to be honest with you. So yeah. you know, really, if you look at where the returns are coming from, it's very hard to avoid some of these tech or tech adjacent companies at the moment. Mm. Well, I mean, you got the the top ones are what Tesla, then Apple, Microsoft, Nvidia, course, Amazon. Yeah. Um, which, you know, the part of the big seven as well that have been moving markets at the moment. Absolutely. That's Mm. right. I think I saw a stat recently, which is like, you know, the top uh, 10 companies make up a third or so of the market cap of the S&P 500, but they account for like 96% of the the return, depending on when you measure it. So Mm. it's it's really, really, really top heavy. So yeah. Yeah. Although then the next one on the list is a Vanguard ETF, the S&P 500 Mm. ETF. Yeah. I mean, that to me just says, and if you look at it, it's it's heavily bought compared to its, uh, its sell side uh, numbers. I think uh, if you're looking at that, that's just people kind of getting back into the market, perhaps dipping a toe in, indexing, spreading the risk a little bit. Mm. And it's worth understanding, though, that if you are investing in the S&P 500 ETF like that, then you are weighted, like you previously mentioned, Absolutely towards right. those big tech stocks as well. Yeah, that's right. What was right. that figure again? You said 95? I guess it's 94 or 96% of the returns are basically coming from 10 companies. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it is a, it is a long tail of, of returns beyond the big tech names. You know, it used yeah. to be known as the FANGs. I'm sure there's some other acronym now. We got to. Oh, we haven't heard of Fangs for a while. Oh, have we? Yeah, yeah, we've yeah. heard of Nvidia. Now we've yeah. got to get Nvidia in there somehow. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's interesting, Nvidia, because they're much more of a hardware kind of company, mm-hmm. um, silicon chips and so forth, aren't they? Yeah, and yeah. that's obviously powering the AI boom. So that's where that's coming from. Mm. Uh, on this list, the only one I don't uh, know about is Palantir Technologies. Do you know Palantir? They are. They're kind of a. Um, they're kind of a big data software company that. Uh, has their hands in a bunch of different software firms. I believe Peter Thiel is behind that company, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So actually, they um, Palantir is also behind a kind of an institutional version of ShareSite as well, uh, a portfolio tracker for hedge fund managers and the like. Actually, so yeah, yeah. ShareSite's available also as a professional kind of tool as well for fund managers and yeah. advisors as yeah. well, isn't it? Yeah. So our heart and soul is kind of in the, in the retail investor space, but we do mm. offer a version for uh, professionals. And the use cases there are either accounting firms or family offices, smaller independent financial advice type firms. Yeah, yeah. And how's that side of the business uh, tracking? It's good. It's good. It's um, it's one that we we rely on referrals from our our large uh, retail client base. So if you've got mm. a um, sort of a higher net worth self directed investor, they may say to their advisor or their accountant, "Hey, you know, I'm going to share my access to my portfolio with you." to do the tax and the admin and things like that. And that's typically how we we generate leads in that space. So it's always been very steady because it's, it's more difficult as sort of a B2C digital company to really efficiently scale that, mm. at least from a, from a marketing standpoint. And so that's, um, that's where we rely on referrals there, that space. So it's not just tracking... Uh, stocks, individual stocks or ETFs, it um, tracks a whole range of other 
instruments as well. Tell us about those. Yeah, it does. So we want to have basically full asset class coverage at ShareSite. So it's basically every listed stock market in the world, which includes ETFs and anything that trades on a listed uh, exchange. Uh, but it's also mutual funds as well. It's other derivatives. And it's also, we, we offer an ability to enter in custom investments as well. So be they hedge funds or off-market things like property, you can track all those on ShareSite as well. So it's it's truly kind of a Swiss army knife in terms of what it can do uh, for the global investor. We're, we're particularly popular with sort of expat investors. So somebody like myself, right? So I'm from the States originally. I've lived here in Australia for a long time. I've worked in different places around the world. I therefore have a bit of a mess when it comes to my, <laughs> my admin side of my investment life, you know, especially for Americans, because you can never escape you know, the IRS. You have to file your tax no matter where you are and where you're driving your income as an American. And so that's where ShareSite's flexibility is quite good because you can run, you know, U.S. dollar domicile portfolios. You can extract the data. You can produce things to help with FBAR and all the other requirements that that are uh, levied on Americans living overseas. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, cryptocurrencies, you cover crypto as well. We do cover crypto. Yeah, mm-hmm. we do. Uh, it's been a very interesting roller coaster to, to ride, but it perhaps seems like some of the better known cryptos are here to stay. And, and yeah, we have a an enthusiastic uh, you know population of customers tracking crypto on ShareSite. Mm. So ETFs are made up of many companies like we were discussing with the S&P 500 ETF, but what's in store for investors in being able to look through these ETFs? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really important. So we've seen ETF usage on ShareSite go from single digit percentages years ago um, to now it's north of 20% in terms of the population of customers who own an ETF. And they're so flexible, right? You can, If you're a newbie investor, you can use ETFs to kind of get introduced to the market and spread out that risk, you know? But if you're an experienced investor, you can use them in a more kind of core satellite way as well, where you can kind of have building blocks and then you can do some stock picking uh, over and above that. So again, they're super popular. But yeah, the issue for ETF investors is the exposure. You don't necessarily know what you're getting in the ETF unless you do the digging, right? And there's resources out there that that show the underlying holdings of ETFs. But what we're about to do at ShareSite is we're going to basically crack open the ETF like an egg. And then you can see the underlying holdings that are in that portfolio. And then it will show you how that overlaps or remains distinct from the individual stocks that you've purchased as well. Which, as you said before, I mean, a lot of people own Apple, a lot of people own Microsoft, Tesla. You're going to get the double up exposure if you're owning basically any large cap ETF and certainly an ASDAQ ETF or a tech ETF. So people just need to be aware of kind of what those overlaps are. Yeah, because you can end up with a very, very concentrated portfolio unwittingly if you're doing that. Exactly right. Mm. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The stock market is a wealth-building machine. Over long periods of time, stocks have consistently outperformed any other investment option. But how do you cope with the stress, the noise, and the emotional turmoil that hits you hard every day? Seven Investing knows the importance of being in the market for the long term. Seven Investing offers seven stock recommendations a month. These are their best ideas, which are actionable buys in the stock market. They're also a fun bunch of people. 
Seven Investing are pleased to offer listeners of this podcast a free trial for a week and 33% off the annual price if you sign up using the promo code STOCKS FOR BEGINNERS. Believe me, this is solid research from experienced advisors who live and breathe the markets. Seven Investing, long-term thinking without the mental anguish. What about benchmarking? Mm. And I mean, I'll just rave for a moment about benchmarking. I love it. Just being able to say, you know, this is, and like we said at the start, it's keeping score. And if you were just going to put all your money into an index-hugging ETF, it's like Warren Buffett would say, that's what he's going to get his family to invest in. And you're trying to pick stocks on your own and to see how they're doing. And having that benchmark for me has been fantastic to be able to see how I've been going. I always laugh at that that Warren Buffett anecdote about he tells everyone just to buy an ETF, an S&P 500 ETF. It's like, but he doesn't do that. And that's not how he made his money, of course. Anyway, always a, always a good salesman, Mr. Buffett. Yeah, so benchmarking is critical because if you think about investing, even if you're not investing, you're making an investment decision, right? If you're not investing, your money's going to be sitting in cash or in a term deposit or in some you know, default balanced mutual fund inside of a 401k or IRA or whatever, right? So that money is going to be put to work whether you like it or not. So therefore... If you do begin to make you know proactive investment decisions, you do need to understand not only how you're tracking against an alternative or how you're tracking against a goal that you might have in mind, but also as an alternative investment strategy. So the way that I think about benchmarking personally, and I, I came from a, an asset allocation background in my days at Morningstar, I thought a lot about the interplay between stocks, bonds, cash, and other uh, asset classes. The way I think about investing is Okay, how much time, energy, and motivation and confidence do I have as an individual managing my own household portfolio? And if I don't necessarily have the brain space or the time or the capacity to really be on top of it, I may look at shifting a portion of my portfolio back into the benchmark. So I look at that almost as like an autopilot kind of plan B. And that's where I think it really becomes important for investors to think about, all right, am I actually going to be able to do better than the benchmark that I've chosen? And that benchmark should be relevant to your time horizon an investor, you know, your financial goals, uh, and, and the risk appetite, of course, that you're willing to take on. So benchmarking always gets kind of lumped in with the old, oh, how the, how the S&P 500 do, you know, how the NASDAQ do. First of all, those are just price indices. They don't actually talk about a return personal to you as an investor. And again, to benchmark properly, I think is to really look at something that you could use as an alternative investment strategy. So in my case, a benchmark that I have set in, in ShareSite, it's actually a Vanguard ETF. It's a diversified ETF, and it, it's kind of more aggressive than a balanced portfolio, but it still represents something that I feel is like an appropriate kind of default autopilot option for myself. In fact, I actually own some of that ETF outright myself. And I look at that as saying, okay, would I be happy enough to kind of shift all my assets there if you know, I was super busy in my life and had little kids and all the rest? And, and the answer is yes, for me, I would be. So that's that's how I think about benchmarking. And what we do at ShareSight is we actually do, we assume a common start date, a common investment amount. So essentially your benchmark, your hypothetical return on your benchmark is treated exactly the same as your real return as an investor with the investments you've chosen. So we do annualized money-weighted returns, net of fees. And that's that's really important because it truly is an apples-to-apples comparison. Mm-hmm. And one of the other parts of the reporting that I find really interesting, apart from being able to give the accountant all the details, yeah. is the where your money inv- is invested, which sectors your portfolio is in. Yeah. And that's really important as well to understand your diversification. It is, yeah. So mm-hmm. 
diversification drives your returns ultimately. There's a lot of research done on that about how important asset allocation and asset selection is. It kind of boils down to like half of your return is ultimately going to come from the, the big buckets you choose to invest in, with the other half being the actual selection underneath those. So yeah, understanding kind of how your assets are allocated at top level, you know, be they equities, what kind of equities? Are they large cap? Are they small cap? Be they sectors? Be they regions? You can even do things like you can classify your investments on share side, at least in, in, in a customizable way. So you can actually set your own custom groups and then build your own asset class breakdown. So what I do, for example, I'm horribly overweight to tech, which I suppose, <laughs> given I'm the CEO of a tech company, is arguably a good thing because I know what I'm doing in air quotes, or it's a bad thing because I'm, I'm overexposed. But that's a choice that I've made for better or for worse. So what I do is I, I look at things like blue chip tech. You know, Those are your Apples of the world, your Microsofts, things like that. Look, they're tech companies, but at this point, they are giant industrial companies, right? And then I look at things like emerging tech. Those might be small caps. I look at things like SaaS as well. So I've set these up as custom groups in ShareSite, and then I can track performance and asset class breakdown across these custom groups. SaaS is something I know really well. So I want to identify those and put those in a discrete bucket. And the other ones I have are like Chinese tech, which has been quite volatile. Alibaba is on that list, for example, keeping a close eye on my, on my holdings in that. So yeah, there's a lot of optionality in terms of how you can track these things, you know, with respect to kind of how the industry views them, but how you want to view them as well. And of course, as investors, we love dividends as well, because that's the, um, the fruits that the, these companies that we're investing in are producing for us. Um, but these, again, can be hard to track. How does um, ShareSite deal with that? Yeah, so we provide uh, full dividend visibility and dividend tracking on ShareSite. So if you add in your portfolio as those companies announce and pay out dividends, those will then be reflected inside your portfolio as well. Any kind of components that happen in terms of you know tax-free components or special dividends or spe- you know special little parts, bits and pieces, we'll track all of that for you and boil that all down into your return as an investor. Um, you can run dividend reinvesting programs on ShareSite as well. So if you do take advantage of DRPs, you can switch those on in ShareSite and see how that reinvestment impacts your bottom line as well. Yeah, and it's also important to check and update yourself manually as well. That's right. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, because yeah. sometimes there are little, you know, yeah. tiny differences in between. That's right. So one of yeah. the things about using a broker, especially is if you have a brokerage account open through a 401k in the US, which you know millions of Americans do, it's often a black box. You know, you can do a lot of stuff in there in terms of what you can buy and sell, but the return information is quite opaque. And so what we do is again, we kind of have that accounting-based background. We make it simple, but it, there's a lot of depth underneath our calculations that you can go and, and review if you're if you're keen to do so. Mm. And ultimately, you want to give something to your accountant at the end of the tax <laughs> that's, year. That's also true as well. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And they'll appreciate it. Yeah. How, how much do they appreciate it? <laughs> uh, they should appreciate it more and they should charge you less. But uh, yeah, that's, that's always a hard <laughs> discussion to call. have, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. So are there any new features that have come out this year? Yeah, we, we've we've done a lot of work, actually. So our focus this year has been always on expanding those asset classes. So we've added new stock exchanges around the world. We've added and are adding still some offshore fund universes. So those are popular, again, with that expat kind of international investor. Often, if you've invested in a fund structure and you've lived in Europe, like the UK, your money will wind up in what's known as an offshore fund. Those are domiciled in places like Dublin and the Channel Islands and things like that. So asset class coverage has been expanded. We've done a heck of a lot of work on the interface itself. So we're really rolling through all those reports. We've redone our branding. We're improving our UX, which at the end of the day is is our product. We want people to 
uh, engage with the product and and we want to make it intuitive for people as well. A lot of that will come out in the form of making it easier to add in new asset classes and new asset types into the product. And so that onboarding is is uh, is a very important part of how we can you know acquire new customers and, and keep the ones we have um, happy and engaged. In addition to that, I mentioned our work that we're doing in our ETF underlying holdings. So that's forthcoming as well. And another big one that we're working on is um, some risk reporting as well. So it's early days there, but um, we've always done performance and tax quite effectively. And we're moving off into a risk uh, frontier as well for investors to kind of show them in intuitive ways how much risk they're taking on with their investment decisions. I'm really fascinated by the term risk. <laughs> and it's I've, a been covering, I've been covering it. And it's also the, sorry if you've heard this before, because I keep on saying it, is the idea of for ordinary people of risk is completely different to what the financial services industry describes <laughs> as risk, isn't it? Yeah, it is, actually. Yeah. When you talk about risk in the financial services world, yeah, there's risk as insurance, there's risk in terms of interest rate risk, there's risk in terms of that's a startup company, that's risky. So it can mean a whole bunch of things. And it does get a bit word salady for investors, especially. So mm. we're to try to use some of the core financial concepts with those risk definitions. The Greeks, the Greek risks, as they're known as. So that's basically volatility, though, isn't it? Volatility, yeah. How much up and down? That's right. Yeah, the price in, is in go. many ways, that's yeah. volatility. Volatility in relation to a peer group or a benchmark. And that's also around kind of peak and trough uh, measurement as well. So, sort of value at risk, you know, maximum drawdown, things like that. So, we're working through that now and we're, we're trying to kind of as we do, and I think we do a good job of using some pretty complex you know, investment approaches, but making them simple enough for for a new investor as well. And that's important for new investors to understand that there's the market is going to go up and down. Absolutely. And, you know, so many investors just sell at the bottom, don't they? They do. Mm. Yeah, they do. That's right. And I think, yeah, the market certainly has been going up and down if you zoom out a little bit on where we are now. But oddly, the market's been very quiet in terms of its volatility, I guess, in the first half of this year. So, it's important for people not to get too kind of desensitized into, you know, kind of this um, market's just going sideways, it'll be fine sort of trap. You know, you got to keep your eye on the ball. Mm. So Vienna, that's the latest exchange you've brought on. Yeah, that's what I've been told, actually. No, I, I did see that. Yeah. So look, again, we're always looking to activate new pockets of the investment world. And if there are um, asset classes or stocks that we don't cover that our customers ask us to do so, we'll work hard to to turn those on. Mm. And the father and son team that you talked about um, at the beginning, they're very techie, aren't they? Yeah, they were. I would say they're, they're a ca- I just remember we had a conversation once where you you want to try and talk to them about marketing, but they're, they're just interested in adding new features. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they came from an accounting and a software background. Um, mm. And so they were absolutely the right people at the right time to start a product that didn't cut any corners on the methodology. And I think that was really important to get the buy-in from really high-caliber self-directed investors in the early days. And you can rip that product apart and be like, wow, these guys know what they're doing. The methodology is sound. I can trust the financial information coming out of this product. Investing in shares can be fun, but the paperwork isn't. My investing's been transformed since using ShareSight, the best portfolio tracking tool for investing. My portfolios are on ShareSight, and whenever I buy or sell, the trades are automatically recorded. I can see the dividends I'm receiving, and it helps me to work out my asset allocation. ShareSight are extending a special offer to listeners of this podcast, four months free on an annual premium plan. There's a seven-day free trial where you can experience the full power of ShareSite portfolio management. 
Go to sharesite.com slash stocksforbeginners and sign up now for a free trial before taking advantage of four free months. That's sharesite.com slash stocksforbeginners. Okay, so let's talk about some advice for new investors. And I always remember your story about um, finding a company that you know and love. And I think you've used Disney as an example. I have. I know. <laughs> well, that hasn't done so well. And Disney's on this list as well. Mm, um, yeah. Disney's morphed from a, well, oh, they're, they're still- selling, are people selling Disney? Uh, no, no, they're buying they're Disney. They're buying it. Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, Disney, I mean, I think all eyes really are on Disney Plus as opposed to the, uh, you know, the Mickey Mouse side of Disney, but their subscription service. But um, for new investors, I do think it's very important to dabble with or consider dabbling with something you know, you know. So I think there's actually I, I should back up a little bit and say there probably are two more preferred approaches that I would say. One is the ETF avenue. You're going to get diversification straight off the shelf. It will be safer, arguably, as a result. Now, that depends on what ETF you choose. A broad market mm-hmm. ETF is what I'm inferring here. Yeah. If you choose some very specific, very illiquid, you know, uh, solar technology ETF, that's a different beast altogether. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, we're referring to index hugging, basically. That's right. Index yeah, hugging so ETFs, ETFs yeah. are something that, that um, I think I encourage new investors to look at and just to, you know, put a bit of money there, see how it goes, get used to it. But the other one would be investing in something that you know. The first best step is probably to have a look at their annual reports. It sounds really boring, but some of those reports make for a really good read. So if you pick an industry you know, the company you work at even, or a company you have worked at or in an adjacent kind of field, that report should make a lot of sense to you because they have to disclose their financials. There's a lot of boring accounting speak in there. And there's, you know, obviously there's the revenue numbers and the cash flow numbers and the balance sheet, but they're also marketing documents. And the CEO or the chairman or whomever will write a whole bunch of stuff about the company and what they're up to. And the best companies tend to be very transparent in terms of what they're doing, and they tell really good stories. And you can learn a heck of a lot from reading the annual reports of listed companies to help you know uh, inform your investment decision. And it'll make more sense to you if you know what you're kind of reading, basically. Yeah. And it's also, there's always plenty of surprises in how companies make their money as well, because you don't realize where the the revenue is coming from. Absolutely right. Mm. I mean, an obvious example would be something like Amazon. You know, if you talk to sort of the person off the street who knows Amazon for for what Amazon is to all of us as consumers, Mm. that's one part of the business. But you may not know about AWS, the hosting service, which is the gigantic you know, profit engine behind Amazon, essentially. Mm, Yeah, that's amazing how much (laughs) of that space that they own. Absolutely. Well, even, even like Google as well. I mean, we all know Google for what they are, right? We think about their services, like you know, Gmail, Android, whatever. And Google still makes the majority of their money from advertising that they display on search. But YouTube is a huge revenue driver for Google as well. In fact, I heard yesterday that YouTube is the second most popular search engine in the world behind Google itself. So, yeah, you know. yeah, that's right. I know I do all my plumbing based on YouTube <laughs> yeah, videos. Exactly, exactly. It's amazing how many drain clearing videos there are on YouTube. That's right. And I'm sure actually, they cover so many. Yeah. My latest one was I, I had to, to tie an old fashioned bow tie. So I turned to YouTube for that. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In, in ShareSite, and this is another tool that I found useful, is being able to look at the performance of a company. So you can, can get historical performance of companies and see how you would have done if you'd been invested in over a certain period of time. Yeah, that's right. I mean, so ShareSite is very flexible. You can go back in time 20 odd years, depending on the stock market that you're talking about. And so 
it does give you the opportunity to create a portfolio that's almost a model portfolio or a what if portfolio. And you can, yeah, you can indeed go back in time and, and see how you would have done as an investor had you chosen that path. But more importantly, too, you can go back and recreate your own performance as an investor through time as well. Oh, tell me about that. Sorry, I, d- I didn't realize you. Could well, do so that. if you so a lot of investors come on and and they'll they'll create a portfolio and they'll only go back a little bit back in time mm. and they'll kind of track things going forward and that's mm. totally fine as well. Or they'll use what we call an opening balance, where you can kind of kind of short circuit the product to kind of get your holdings in and then we'll take it from there going forward, mm. right? Which is the way I've been using it. Yeah, we have actually twenty years of data behind that. So if you wanted to, you could go back if you have the information available, or we have a connection in with your broker. You can go back and, and go back to your first buys and sales, and then track all that through time up until today, and then we'll track it for you going forward as well. So it's quite interesting to see kind of how you would have gone based on our methodology. Yeah, so we offer that option if you choose to kind of go back and and recreate the past as well. Yeah. Oh, I think it's great value for money. And um, if listeners are interested, of course, they can go to sharesite.com forward slash stocks for beginners or lowercase one word and get four months free on an annual premium plan. Doug Morris, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks so much, Phil. Thanks for listening to Stocks for Beginners. If you enjoy listening, please take a moment to rate or review in your podcast player or tell a friend who might want to learn more about investing for their future. 